All right, Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31, page 134 or page 172. If the Bible that you're using has a flame on it, if you're using some of our Bibles uh, from the chairs there, if it has a flame, it's page 172. If it's uh, not a flame, then it's page 134. We're going to Deuteronomy 31. Oh, throughout Deuteronomy, I was told this morning that we are just hitting one year in Deuteronomy as of today. One year, and we'll be finished in about three or four, four weeks now. October 8th is uh, when we wrap this up. So one year, not bad, right? Okay, 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 okay. okay. <laughs> You're like, some of you are like, one year too long. All right, um, Deuteronomy 31. Now, as we've gone through Deuteronomy, we have talked a lot about obedience. We have talked a lot about uh, allegiance or faith, faithful obedience or faithfully. We've talked about, a lot about living in faithfulness to God. Now, I want to step back for a moment because we're going to talk about it again today. But I want to step back for a moment and make sure you're hearing me clearly. Because I know the filters that we can sometimes run things through and because of the sin that lurks within our heart, I also know how we can twist some of the things that God instructs us in and how we then get off track. And so when I'm talking about obedience and when I, and when I, when I see in the scriptures obedience, God's call to obedience, our temptation might be to think just rules to live by, rules that, that kind of zap my joy, my zeal. Um, God is a taskmaster. He's a strict uh, authoritarian type of parent, and he's not really interested in my joy. He's really just interested in me living appropriately. And maybe we're filtering that because we have parents who, uh, in, a, in an attempt to be maybe good and godly parents and emphasizing, here's the rules you should live by, maybe there's a lack of grace in that law that they're laying down. And so what comes across is um, you obey because if you disobey, it embarrasses me. You obey because if you disobey, um, then, then you're just going to, 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 to be not pleasing to me or in this case to God. Maybe we've got filters like that. As I have tried to, to say the last few weeks, the way the scriptures present the Torah, the law, the instruction of God is not that it takes life away, but that it gives life. That as, as God's people will live in faithful obedience to him, it actually brings life to them. They experience the life that God intends. And so all throughout the scripture, when you see things, particularly in the Proverbs a lot, it'll talk about um, the, the path of God is the way to life, but the, the, the uh, path against God is a path to death or destruction. It's because as we talked about, especially when we went through Deuteronomy 28, God is far more concerned with, with more than just our eternal life, right? We, we have evangelicals in American Christian culture, we've reduced it down to when we talk about life, all we mean is being saved. But God intends far more for us. He, he doesn't just want us to be saved because when he saves us, he's saving us from something. And if you're saved from something, what also must be happening? You're saved to something. Right? He is calling us out of the domain of darkness, which falls under the authority of Satan, and he's calling us out of that domain and putting us under a new authority, a right authority, the kingdom of his beloved son. 
right? And so when you, when you transfer from one kingdom to another, the code of ethics changes, the way of living changes. You can't go on living like you did when you were in the domain of darkness underneath the authority of Satan because that just leads to death, Hallelujah. right? So instead, you change the way you're living, and God in his grace has given us the Torah, his law, his instruction. Right? I'm going to hammer that home for the rest of this series that God's instructions, the Old Testament, is not so diametrically opposed to the New Testament. It's not law versus grace. It's that through God's law, he is graciously revealing himself. Because remember, the people that Moses is talking to in Deuteronomy on this plain, they're the people that God has called out, but they're going to go live among all kinds of other nations who worship all kinds of other gods. When you worshiped other gods, little g, you didn't know what they expected of you. You didn't know who they were necessarily or how they were. You didn't know what kind of worship pleased them and what kind of worship would make them mad. You didn't know what it took to live a life that would get their blessing versus get their curses. You were guessing in the dark. And yet with Yahweh, the God of the people of Israel that has brought them out of Egypt, he's saying, I'm making myself known to you. I'm revealing myself to you through the Torah, through my instructions, through all that we have been looking at. God is making himself known, which is a gracious act because God's not distant. He doesn't stay distant, right? He's the creator of all heaven and earth. And yet then he draws near to his people so that he can make himself known. He reveals himself. And that's his grace, because the greatest thing, the highest thing that you or I can know or experience is to know the very one who created us, the very one who formed us in the womb and knows our inward parts, the very one who knows our thoughts even before they are formed and the words of our mouths even before they hit our tongue. The greatest thing for any one of us to know and experience is to know him and to be known by him. But in order to know him, he must be made known. And that's what he's doing. For him to withdraw and keep knowledge of him secret would not be gracious, it would be cruel. Because if he keeps knowledge of himself secret but still expects his creation to live in obedience to him, that's cruelty. A parent who has expectations for a kid and is going to hold them accountable to those expectations but never has communicated those expectations but does carry out the discipline is a cruel parent. But a parent who says, this is what I expect of you. Sometimes you get to know why, sometimes you don't. This is what I expect of you. Here's how you live. Here's how this will, this will create peace in our home and how we can all exist in peace. And here's the consequences if you don't. And then they hold the kids accountable, whether for the blessing of the peace and the enjoyment of life or not. So with our kids, we parent each of our kids differently because you have to do that because there's no, there's no model. You guys plenty in this room know this already, right? And so with each of our kids, we parent them differently. And so with one, one kid, we might say, you know, this kid responds well to this type of discipline, so that's what we do, but this kid does not, so we use a different type of discipline. And, and, and then maybe in certain situations, we find out, well, this issue is not really a challenge for this kid, but it is for this kid. And so we're going to parent this kid on this issue, but we don't really need to address it with this kid because that's not 
his or her issue. Right? So we'll, we'll address each kid as, as they are. Well, well, sometimes we might say to one kid when, when there's a protest, um, when there's a protest of, well, you're showing favorites or you always do this or you never do this for me, sometimes, and we're not perfect as parents and we don't get it right all the time, but, but sometimes what we will explain and we'll say is, well, with this particular kid, we're free to bless them in this area because we're not, we're not constantly having to to come up against something, right? So we're free to bless them. And, and, and this area is not, a, not a, an area of challenge for this particular kid. But, but maybe with this kid, we're saying, we're not free to bless you in this area because right now there's things that, that are there in your life that might lead to death that we need to stay on, right? But we want to be free to bless you. That's our heart's intent. We want you to walk in our blessing. We want to be able to lavish things upon you. We want to be able to give you the things that you want and desire so long as they're not harmful to you. But we may not be free to do that given the current status of the relationship, right? So there, there's, there's an intent to, we want to bless you, but we may not be able to at this moment because of the way you're walking and living, right? So God's intent is to bless his people. He wants to pour out his blessings on his people. He redeemed them so that they might know him, so that they might be in relationship with him, so that through them, as they live out their relationship with God, all the other nations who have rejected God and been in rebellion would see the righteousness and the wisdom of God's Torah, his instruction, his law. And they would see it not as restriction of my joy, my happiness, but they would see it as God's wisdom because it leads to life. These people who worship Yahweh, they don't deal with the same sickness as we deal with. They, they, they have crops in season and out, even when we have drought. The, these, these people, they're livestock, they're, they're so healthy and they have no shortage of anything they need. How great is their God and look how they live differently in relationship. It's meant to draw people in. God's intent is to bless his people, right? Here's where we're going this morning. Living in faithful obedience to Yahweh. Now, I'm going to keep throwing that word up frequently. I might switch it out for you. But, but again, don't be thrown off by that. That's, that's the biblical word. That's YHWH, the Hebrew letters just put in English. That's how God revealed himself to Moses. We're talking about a covenant God, and God revealed himself as Yahweh. That's the way we most of the time say it. Some people have other pronunciations. There is some discussion on how you pronounce it. Pronounce it because in Hebrew, there's no vowels. There was no vowels originally, and so those came later. And so the, there, there's consonants, and then you have to figure out how it's pronounced. Some people say Yahweh. Other people say every, something else. So living in faithful obedience to Yahweh requires strength and courage and intentionality. By the way, the other reason I'm, I'm, I'm leaning more and more that way is because I, I'm not opposed to putting God up there, but in a culture where we throw the word God out there so nebulously, I want to be very specific, Amen. right? I want to be very specific when, when the scripture's calling us to obey God, which one? Who? right? Because if I just say God, I don't want to continue to run a risk of someone listening to me going, well, I know God. And then you have this idea of God that you formulated and some of it's picked from scripture, but some of it's picked from, you know, new age stuff, or some of it's picked from Islam, or some of it's picked from Buddhism and all this stuff kind of seeps in, right? Yahweh, the one who created heaven and earth, right? The one who enters into covenant and reveals himself to his people. Living in faithful obedience to Yahweh requires strength and courage and intentionality. Strength and courage and intentionality. And we're just going to break those two parts up this morning as we go through 
our verses. So the first one would be this. Faithful obedience requires strength and courage. Strength and courage. So let's see what we're looking at. Look with me at chapter 31, verse 1. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you. And you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Let's stop there for a moment. Moses is speaking to the people. Remember, this is a sermon he's given. Now he's wrapping it up. And he says, I'm 120 years old. Now that's actually pretty young for biblical standards. Moses is now on the downward tick of the ages because as you read through the book of Genesis, you'll see people who were 600 years old, 900 years old. So you see the age ranges going down, right? That's the impact of sin on the world, by the way. That's the breakdown of the bodies, the breakdown of genetics. That is, the, the longer sin is, is being impact, having an impact in the world and is being passed on from generation to generation, the greater the impact is. And so that's why you see uh, people going from 900 years old down to now we're at 120. Now Moses, for a 120-year-old, you can't put it through your modern-day lens of, of most 100, and, if you even know a 120-year-old, right? We, we don't see that often. You can't put it through that lens, because when you think about a 120-year-old today, you think someone who's probably not mobile, who has failing sight, can't hear, maybe they're just existing. That's not Moses. Moses is not dying because his body is weak. In fact, when he dies, we're going to see it, his eyes have not even faded, right? right? So Moses is dying because the time has come for his life to end because he was disobedient to God. And God had told him, you can't go into the land. And so he's taken them up to this point. And now they're ready to go on the land. The timing of God has come for him, right? It's not that his body can't function anymore. So he says, I'm 120. So when he says, I'm no longer able to go out and come in, he's not saying I'm physically unable to do things. Remember, we looked at that a few weeks ago. To come out and go in is a military term. It's about going out to battle and coming back into battle. He has been the one who has been at the head of the people for all that they've experienced. They now stand at the, at the border of the Jordan River before they go into the land. Moses is not going to be permitted to go into the land. And so he's no longer able to go out and come back in with his people as they go on in the next, the next stage of, the, of God's uh, campaign. Right? That's what he's saying. I'm 120 years old. I'm no longer able to go out. He's not saying I'm physically unable. He goes on and he says, The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. All right, so where we see that, and I, did, I decided not to put it up today, but you can, you can look it up. It's in Numbers 20 and then also Numbers 27. Numbers chapter 20 and then also Numbers chapter 27. There was a point where the people of God came in the, in the wilderness and they needed water. And Yahweh told Moses, take this stand and, and go and speak, uh, take the staff and then go and speak to the rock. Very specific instructions in this case. Previously, he was, he was instructed to hit the rock. This time, he was not instructed to hit the rock. He was told to speak to the rock, and then the water would come from it. And so he goes and he stands in front of the people, and he's so aggravated with the people and their rebellion that out of his anger, instead of speaking to the rock, he hits the rock. Now, God is still merciful. 
and gracious and water still came out of the rock and the people of Israel was still watered. But as a result of that striking of the rock, uh, Numbers chapter 20 says that, that Moses um, disbelieved God. That was his infraction. He failed to believe God. Numbers chapter 27, when it's telling the same story, says that Moses rebelled against God. Same event. In Numbers 20, Moses is, is said to have disbelieved God. In, in Numbers 27, Moses is said to have rebelled. What's the connection? To disbelieve God is to rebel against God. Okay? Rebellion against God comes in the form of disbelief. Okay? Failure to believe when God has revealed himself and given instruction and then doing other than what God has said. Okay? That's why Moses is not allowed to go in the land. Now, Numbers 20 says he disbelieved. Numbers 27 says that he rebelled. Both of them have this in common. You failed to uphold my holiness before the people. You failed to uphold my holiness before the people. Moses was a prophet like no other. God spoke to him face to face. There's no other prophet in his day. There were other prophets in his day who received prophecies, who spoke prophecies that we don't have. But we're told there was no other prophet like Moses because Moses was the only one that God spoke to face to face. The greater the revelation that God gives, the greater the responsibility we have. And so Moses being a prophet who received revelation from God face to face in such an intimate, uh, unhindered manner, the, 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 the responsibility for him is greater in upholding the holiness of God. You might think, well, it's not really that big a deal. He hit a rock. Come on, he's human, right? I mean, God told him to speak to it. That takes a lot of faith. But God had been speaking to him face to face, right? And so the speaking to the rock should be nothing when God has been revealing, revealing himself in such a, an intimate way. The greater the revelation, the greater the clarity of the revelation, the greater the responsibility of the individual or the group of people to steward the holiness of God. Okay? So, the Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. Now, that's significant. So Moses is telling this to the people. Yahweh's told me I'm not going over. Well, wait a minute, Moses. You're our head. You're our leader. You're our military general. What are we supposed to do? You're the mediator. You speak to us on behalf of God. What do we do? No, Yahweh himself is going to go before you. That's significant. Because in the ancient Near East, which is the time that this would have been written, that's, that's a way to speak about the cultures that lived at that time. In the ancient Near East, it was very common that if you believed in a god, little g, doesn't matter, any God. If you believed in a God, you also believed that that God had a territory. By the way, that's biblical, and we'll see that next week. But there's a, there's a territory that that particular God, little g, would have authority over. But when you crossed over into another territory, you might be crossing over into another God, little g's, realm of authority. And so the people, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, they might have all worshipped different gods. And if they worshipped different gods, when you crossed into their territory, you would be, then be crossing into the, the, the domain that's under the authority of that particular god. So when we did Battlegrounds, we talked about territorial spirits. That's this kind of idea that there are spiritual beings created by God who have rebelled against God, who still have authority over certain areas, regions, counties, cities, towns, whatever, however you divide that, parishes, whatever. So the belief would be you're crossing into Canaanite territory. 
When you cross into Canaanite territory on the other side of the river, you're going to come against Canaanite gods, little g. But no worries, because Yahweh, your God, is crossing over with you. Why? Because Yahweh, your God, is not bound by any territory, because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He goes with you wherever you go. There is no God, little g. There is no opposition that you are going to face that he is not over. Okay? That's a significant thing. I'm not going with you, Moses says, but Yahweh, your God, is going with you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them, and Joshua will go over at your head. So there's a transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua. Coming back to that in a moment, as the Lord has spoken. Verse 4, and the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion. So he's calling back to mind the, the two battles that they would have just fought against Sihon and then against Og, both in a land called Bashan. We've talked about that before, but these would have been um, leaders who had legends told about them. This, this land of Bashan was known as the place of the dead, where when someone died, particularly the Nephilim, then the spirit of the Nephilim would go there. That was the belief. And so this area of Bashan was particularly a hotbed of spiritual warfare. And the rulers, Sihon, and then Og, particularly Og, we know is a giant. He's a, he's a descendant of the Nephilim. There is a spiritual battle against God's kingdom that is being waged there. And yet God, even though Og was possibly 10, 15, uh, 10 12 feet tall, because his bed was 13 feet tall, right? So, so if, if he's a giant and God is overcoming him, and he's a descendant of the Nephilim, and we know there's going to be descendants of the Nephilim, or um, they're called an Anakim, the sons of Anak in the land. We know that. Then God is going to have them taken care of too. So he gives them this revelation that you are going into the land, and Yahweh your God is going with you, and remember what he has done for you. So as you continue to press forward into the land, carrying out the mission of God, facing opposition, you're walking in faithful obedience to God. He will take care of the opposition to his kingdom, of which you are a representative. And you can, you can take him at his word, and in order to help stir up your faith, remember what he's already done. So sometimes God gives revelation and the faith is I'm taking you at your word and I don't have history on it, but I'm believing you because of who you are and what you say you're going to do. But then there's other times where I can take you at your word and believe you are who you say you are and you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Oh, and I've got track record to show it. And I can recall that. I can look back on the history of God and how you have worked in the history of your people, how you have worked in the history of my life, and I can say you've done it before. Why wouldn't you do it again? If you've overcome Og the giant, why won't you overcome anything that we'll see in that land? That's what Moses is telling his people. Joshua's going to go at your head, but God's going to take care of all of that. Verse 5. The Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. This is harem he's referring to, uh, devoting them to destruction, setting them aside for the Lord, completely wiping out those, those tribes that he says to wipe out. They're expected to follow the instruction of the Lord. It would be important then that they know what that instruction is, correct? It would be cruel of God to hold them accountable to following instruction that he's not given them. But he has. And so Moses said, you should do all that I've uh, uh, um, done according to what you've been instructed. All right, look at verse 6. Still speaking to the people, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. 
Okay, so we see this come up a lot. We're going to look at this here in just a moment. But be strong and courageous. That's the, that's the instruction. Don't back down. There's, there's elements of faith behind strength and courage. Okay? We're not talking about a nebulous type of strength and courage where we tend to say, um, <laughs> Instagram picture, pose, and then the quote in her eyes was strength and courage as she faced the world. Nothing could come against her. She was the king's daughter. Not like that. You're laughing. You know what I'm talking about. Not like that. It's not nebulous. Why can I be strong and courageous? It's because of who that strength and that courage is based in. It's not based in me. It's not based in my ability. It's not based in anything that I can muster up. It's based in what has God done? Who has he revealed himself to be? What has he said he's going to do? And as I look at his track record, I see he has done it. And now... Here's what I'm facing. Be strong and courageous. There's elements of faith there. I'm taking God at his word. I'm going to press forward. Even though what lies ahead is unknown, it's scary. I know I'm going to face opposition. Yet be strong and courageous because God is trustworthy. There's faith there, right? Do not fear. Well, that would, that would take place if I'm not being strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, the people that I'm going to be facing, the giants, the militaries, the fortresses, all those things. Don't worry about that. Be strong and courageous. Why? Here's a connection word for. It is Yahweh, your God, who goes with you. That's where strength and courage come from. If I give you a message of being strong and courageous because you have it within you, I'm lying to you. You don't have this kind of strength and courage in you unless you have the Spirit of God in you. But if I try to preach to you a message about being strong and courageous and I say, it's just within you, it's just every one of us have it, that's not going to help you, that's going to harm you. That's going to lead you down a path of death rather than life. But if I say to you, as I look at the scriptures and I say, I don't know what God has in front of you, I don't know what you're facing. Maybe you have some unknowns. Maybe you know you're in opposition or you have conflict that's taking place. And you know if, if, if that's the case, then faithfully be obedient to God and press forward and be strong and courageous. Because if you're walking in faithful obedience to him and you are going to experience opposition, then be strong and courageous. That's not your battle. That's his. Right? So the people of God we're going to cross in the land, they're not expected to win these battles in their own military prowess. They're expected to win these battles as they let the Lord their God fight on their behalf. So be strong and courageous. It's based in the God of the Bible, the Creator. Do not fear being dread because for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Now I need to know that. If I'm going to press forward and I'm going to continue to be faithfully obedient to God even though I face opposition, I need to know He's not abandoning me. I need to know that He's not going to release His grip on me. That sounds familiar to me. First thought I went to was Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus said, came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, so Jesus has been given all authority and on, in heaven and earth, and now he's telling his followers, I want you to go. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Well, there's unknowns there. That I'm, I'm crossing into territory where there's going to be opposition. There is still realms and domains under Satan's authority. 
And so I'm going into those places and I'm going to make disciples of those nations. These nations that have rejected the God, the creator God for all these years, I'm being told now to go on the authority of Jesus. And he says, but I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Same God. Jesus, God of the Old Testament, same. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. He's just saying the same thing that God said in the Old Testament. I'm with you always. All right, look at Hebrews. Hebrews quotes this more directly, chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Keep your life free from love of money, not free of money. Same with 1 Timothy. When we quote this, we tend to say money is the root of all evils in 1 Timothy. It does not what it says. It's the love of money. Here, same thing. It's not money. It's the love of money. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's the quote directly from Deuteronomy 31. And because he has said that, we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So knowing that God never leaves nor forsakes his people allows his people to live with contentment despite what they have and what they see and what their experience is, and they can then know God is indeed my helper. Therefore, I'm not going to fear whatever I'm stepping into, whatever I'm walking into. What can man do to me? Like, that's the least of my worries. What can man do to me? All right, we've got to keep going. He goes on in verse 7. Look with me at verse 7 and 8. Chapter Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So what we were just talking about was what Moses was saying to the people. Now he brings Joshua, who's going to succeed him, right? He brings Joshua up in front of the people, and he speaks directly to Joshua. Joshua, you be strong and courageous. Same command, right, that he just gave to the people. Now, Joshua, you're the leader of these people. You are stepping into my, 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 my seat here. Um, you be strong and courageous. And here's the reason. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. Joshua, it's you. It's you that, that is going to lead this people to take possession of a promise that God has given to our forefathers, Abraham. Okay? Joshua, it's you. Be strong and courageous. It is the Lord, and he reminds Joshua, it's Yahweh who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now, we see Joshua receive this, this instruction, this commission in front of the people in Deuteronomy. And when he says, be strong and courageous, it's connected to because you're going to be the one who leads the people to take possession of the land. When you go to Joshua chapter 1, we see it again. Joshua chapter 1, we see it again. So again, similar words, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Okay, that seems like the same thing he just told them in Deuteronomy. But look at the next one. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law or Torah that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. 
For then you will make your way, he will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Okay, have I not commanded you? So the second time the command is given to Joshua, it's not linked to taking the people into the land and give them possession, but it's be strong and very courageous and then keep the Torah. Do all that it says. It takes courage and strength for him to continue in obedience to Yahweh once they get into the land, to keep and do all that they've been instructed. And it's keeping and doing all that they've been instructed, which will result then in them experiencing life, prosperity, blessings of the covenant. So be strong and courageous because it takes strength and courage, the kind that's based in faith, to be obedient to God in the face of opposition. And then the last one, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God, Yahweh your God is with you wherever you go. So the third one is connected to you can be strong and courageous because it's Yahweh your God who goes with you. That helps us when we go back to the Deuteronomy, that helps us to get a more fuller understanding of what is Moses instructing Joshua. It's going to take strength and courage for you to be used by God to bring the people into the land to continue to be obedient and faithful to this God above any other God. It takes strength and courage to do that. But that's got to be based in faith, not the kind that you just muster up. But it's, it's a, a strength and a courage. Now, I'm, I want to talk about Joshua just for a moment. Why Joshua? Um, Joshua, um, we, we're introduced to Joshua early on. Here's Exodus. We're, we're told, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again to the camp, so he was, he was leaving the tabernacle, so he had gone to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and God would come down, he would come down and meet with Moses face to face, and, and all the other people were welcome to go and, and, and meet at the tabernacle, but, but God would come and talk to Moses face to face, but when Moses would then turn back to go to the camp, so he's going back to the camp because the tent of meeting was outside of the camp at this point, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Joshua was present on the mountain with Moses. He, didn't, he wasn't necessarily privy to everything that Moses was getting, but he was up on that mountain. He wasn't at the base with the people. So he, 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 was, he was able to see and, 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 and maybe get a glimpse or maybe get, a, get a, an earful of some of the things that were taking place. He knew that there was something unique. He was, he was privy to things that other people weren't privy to. And, he, and when Moses would go to the tent, he would go with them. And when Moses would leave to go back, he would stay. I don't think... God's tent needed guarding. I don't think he was staying to guard the tent. He's lingering. He would stick around because the presence of the Lord had been there. And you think about how does Joshua get to the spot where he's at? Well, he's learned how to linger in the presence of God. He's learned how to stay even when other people are done and they leave. He stays. Joshua. Now, the other thing about Joshua is Joshua is actually not his original name. Hosea is his original name. We find that out in Numbers, but Moses called him Joshua. Hebrew, Hosea, means salvation. Joshua in Hebrew is Yehoshua. So do you hear it? Hosea, Yehoshua. There's only one letter at it. The, 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 the Yod looks like an apostrophe. The very first letter uh, when we put up Yahweh, that would be the very first letter. Hosea, salvation. Yehoshua, Yahweh is salvation. Yes. Moses called 
him Yahweh is salvation. Joshua. Joshua, Yehoshua, who lingers at the tent, who stays. Joshua, God is salvation. The, the, the one whom God would, would use to bring the people into the promise of Abraham. Joshua, Yehoshua, God is salvation. Hold on to that. Let's jump to these last few verses. Faithful obedience also requires intentionality. Faithful obedience also requires intentionality. Verse 9. Moses, then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and all the elders. What did he write down? What we're reading. Deuteronomy. Verse 10. And Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year, release... Uh, year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner with your, within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess." Every seven years, Moses, he's written down this law. Moses instructs them every seven years when you're gathering to celebrate the Feast of Booths or Sukkot, by the way, coming up, coming up, all right? And, and, and um, so Feast of Booths, when you gather for that, then you're going to read out loud what's been written down. Now think about that. Every seven years in the year of release. They gather every year for this, but every seven you're to read it. They don't have personal copies. You have a Bible opened in your lap or pulled up on your phone or tablet. They didn't have it. They couldn't turn to it and check a reference. They couldn't just go and look further into this or that. It had to be read to them. It had to be taught to them. How does God ensure that his people continue to know who he is as there's more and more generations? The word of God is read out loud every seven years. So maybe you were a two-year-old the last time you gathered, and now seven years later, you're nine. You couldn't remember it when you're two, but now as a nine-year-old, you're hearing it. And as you would hear the, the Torah read, as you would hear the instruction of God read, you're not going to walk away with everything, but you're going to walk away knowing that's the word of God. That's the word of our God. That's his instruction. That's, that's the God who has revealed himself to us, and you're going to walk away looking to obey that. Because you're going to take away from it, I live in obedience to him and I experience the blessing. He's our God. He's the one who redeemed us. It's him we have covenant with. How does God ensure that his people continue to pass on knowledge of who he is? He says, every seven years, I want you to read it out loud. Now, we actually don't have any record that this ever happened. It may be there. We just, we don't have it. And we know that the track record of, of his, we know when they found the law, King Josiah read it. We know when they came back to rebuild the temple, there was some reading of it. But we don't have this pattern of every seven years. So did it happen? We don't know. But you can see the importance that God placed on hearing his word. Because hearing then leads to obeying. To hear, Shema, was to obey. Right? You hear the word, you know it's the word of God, then you follow up on it. Every seven years. All right. So it takes intentionality. They are to follow through with that. Now, let me wrap this up, but come back around to Yehoshua. Joshua. God is salvation. Yehoshua. The one who God was going to use to bring his people into the land to inherit and possess the promise that God had made to Abraham about this land. 
Yehoshua. God is salvation. The man whom God was going to use to continue to lead his people to live in faithful obedience to him, Yehoshua, God is salvation, so that they can experience life in the land. Yehoshua, God is salvation. The one who would lead the people to continue to depend upon Yahweh their God, to continue to live in faithful obedience, to depend upon him, his, his provision, his protection, his blessing, and to live in faithful obedience to him. Yehoshua, Joshua, Yahweh is salvation. Through the years, the name became shortened. And instead of the name being full, Yehoshua, the name was shortened, and the shortened form was Yeshua. means the same thing, Yeshua. God is salvation. Yeshua was a common name by the time we get to the New Testament. But there was one who bore that name, Yeshua. God is salvation. Who God would use to lead his people to inherit the promise of Abraham. Yeshua, God is salvation. Yeshua, one who God would use to lead his people to continue to depend upon God and to live in faithful obedience to him so that they might experience the life that God gives, the life that God is, Yeshua. Of course, Yeshua got translated into Greek as Iesu, and then Latin, and then it was um, Iesus, uh, and then German added the J, and then we eventually we get Jesus. Yeshua, God is salvation. Yehoshua, God is salvation. Joshua, Jesus. Do you see it? God has used Jesus, Yeshua. God is salvation to lead his people to inherit the promise that God made to Abraham. And you receive the promise by faith. That promise includes salvation. That promise includes the spirit of God that he now gives to his people, that the, the, the law might be written on our hearts. Yeshua, God is salvation. The, the one who leads us to depend upon Yahweh. No other God. The one who leads us and calls us to continue to faithfully obey him that we might know life. Obedience doesn't stop in the New Testament. We don't get to now live however we want. We still live in faithful obedience to Yahweh to God. But we come by faith in what Jesus has done for us. Because when he took our place on that cross, he himself was innocent. But he bore the sin that I deserved, my sin. He bore the weight of God's judgment for my sin, for your sin, so that he would then take the wrath of God that should have been directed toward me, but now was put on him. And then when he died, he died as the perfect sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice, so that through faith in him, I might receive the remission of my sins, the forgiveness of my sins. I could be wiped clean so that I might now come into a relationship with God. He was raised to a new type of life. He overcame sin and death, and he had to, because that, the death is the impact of sin, and sin entered the world through, through God's creation. And so Jesus comes and he undoes the power that it has so that he could take us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son by faith in the son, Jesus, Yeshua, 
God is salvation. Living in faithful obedience to Yahweh requires strength and courage and intentionality. It's not nebulous. There's not questions about how we should be living our life, who God is and what he's like. The question we have is because we don't know him. The question we have is because we don't, we don't have enough of what he's already revealed to us. We're making it up or we're taking it from other places and yet he has revealed himself. The God who is salvation has revealed himself to us. We must pursue that. We must know him as he's revealed himself. So Father, in this room now, would you let your spirit come and take your word and whatever's been true that I've said, let it take root. And if there's anything that's been false or incorrect, would you block our ears from it and lead us into truth? Help us to hear your voice and to recognize it this morning. Encourage the faint-hearted, the discouraged, the hopeless this morning. Infuse them with your hope because God is salvation and he will go with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Um, there are some of you in this room who you're facing incredible obstacles. There's a handful of you that I'm aware of. And then there's some of you I'm not aware of. I wonder if you would hear that this morning as from God to your spirit, his spirit to yours. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will go with you. As you cross into whatever's next, unknowns, Yahweh your God will go with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Father, for those who need to respond to your gospel of, of fit by faith in Jesus, would you open their eyes that they might see that and draw them in that they might trust in what you have done for us through your son that they might be transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved son. I know we're over time here, but I'm still going to ask if I have a few prayer uh, team members, if you would go ahead and grab your um, lanyards and just go ahead and make your way up and just be available for anybody who would like prayer. They're there for you. Anything you would like to have prayed over, they'll be there for you as we dismiss here. And so now as we depart from here, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up this countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. See you guys next week.